Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, this past Sunday, you took us, encouraged us to look deeply and carefully at a picture of faith. Yes, the the idea what we were trying to get across, and we used James chapter 1 as our core passage we want to look at, is what does faith look like? You know, we, we get these images in our mind, and if I was to tell you what does Superman look like? Well, you draw this guy, even if he's just a stick figure guy. He'd put an S on his chest and a red cape because that comes to our mind. What does a doctor look like? Well, we have this image in our mind. What does a basketball player, you know, all those things kind of brings up images in our mind. So when we talk about what does faith look like, that's core for all that we are because Christianity is built upon us believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In our culture today, it is kind of assumed that we all have different kind of faith. You know, I believe this, but I may not accept this. It's kind of like you're at the salad bar, and I pick this out and pick that out and kind of manufacture my own faith. Well, that's not the picture we get in our Bibles. And what we did is just go through the book of James and looked at some core principles right there in that first chapter that describes what faith is all about. You know, I uh, I love the idea of looking at this as a picture. Um, we've got, of course, Bibles, black print, white papers. Uh, it can be really easy to not view this as a picture, but this is one of the primary ways that Jesus taught. Of course, the parables are are powerful, memorable word pictures. Even his miracles, in a sense, were pictures. They're described in, uh, for instance, the book of Acts as signs, signs that are pointing to the validity of the one who, who is doing these miracles. And here's a primary reason you need to, to listen to him. So I love the idea here. We're taking a chapter of the Bible, James chapter one, and treating it as a, a word picture, a picture of faith. Why don't you walk us through the basic points that you gave us on Sunday that comprise this picture of faith? Absolutely. So we started off that the picture of faith that James gives us is someone that cannot be moved by the troubles of life. He begins this in, in verses 2, 3, and 4 when he talks about uh, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance has this perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That transcends over the verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. So the first picture uh, James gives us, if we can imagine a crayon box with 64 crayons in there, we pull out one crayon. The first, the first color we would have is here's someone who is not buckling under trouble. Troubles come, hard times come, but he is steadfast in his faith. What does faith look like? It looks like endurance. It looks like continuing on when the storm clouds are brewing around us. All right. So to borrow from Jesus's conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, it's not that rain doesn't fall and winds don't blow and floods don't rise, but there's a, a solid foundation. Seems like a really natural, logical place to begin if we're talking a picture of faith. It's not that 
I was born special. It's not that, you know, somehow I innately know something that nobody else knows. It's I have faith in the rock. I, I have found the one who is stable and steadfast. And if I build my life on him, even though the rain, the rains may fall and the winds may blow, I can be steadfast because of that foundation. So the second point we took to was just a little bit deeper here in James 1, and that is the picture of faith as someone who's single-minded in heart. James talks about the person who lacks wisdom, and he says, ask God. So he takes us to the avenue of prayer. But as he does that, he lays out three principles. You must pray without doubting, verse 6. The one who doubts, he says in verse 7, should not expect anything because you doubted. And then verse 8, because you doubted, you're double-minded. You are unstable. So so the opposite of that, the crayon we'd pick out this time, would be someone who's single-minded in his heart. He prays believing. If he's going to pray for rain, he's going to take an umbrella because he believes because he's talking to the Lord. And again, that is the picture of faith that he gives to us. Here we are in the middle of the week, and it's been a couple of days since we looked at this passage. If you were going to explain to, you know, maybe a teenager who's uh, driving in the car with their parents what it means to be double-minded. We don't often use that word outside of the Bible. What might it look like here in the middle of the week to be a double-minded person? We we could say someone who's wishy-washy, someone who cannot make a commitment, someone who wants to uh, have a foot on both sides. I want a foot in the world. I want a foot in the Lord. I'm someone who's just not confident and sure. So uh, the wind may blow him left, and then the wind may blow him right, and he may go left, and he may go right. He's just not, he's just a, a man of faith knows where he's going. A man of faith is single-minded. A man of faith is sure because of the Lord. All right, so to revisit Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's the man or the woman who seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Picture of faith is someone who can't be moved by trouble, someone who's single-minded in heart. What's number three? Number three is someone who's controlled by Christ in a crisis. And that comes from verse 19 where he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So that, that is that is given to us in an atmosphere uh, of trouble. Uh, someone's angry. And it could be the way someone's driving. It could be a co-worker. It could be lots of things that cause us to be angry. But rather than lashing out, rather than just giving them a piece of my mind, what I am is I'm controlled by Christ. I'm going to be fast to hear. I'm going to be slow to anger, slow to speak. I'm going to be controlled. I'm not being run by my emotions. I'm not sitting on a horse and there's no reins and that horse is going to take me wherever that horse wants to take me. I am in control. Self-control is what Peter said in the in the virtues of second peter chapter one i love how these build on one another you know the the picture that i get in my mind as you're describing these is maybe a a raging ocean all around and i love these these pictures you see every once in a while of maybe a lighthouse that's sticking way out and sometimes those waves crash up against it but it's built on solid rock right and as long as i 
stay in that lighthouse as long as I realize, okay, that this is the rock that I'm building my life up. My, my mind is set on things above. In a sense, Christ controls me, right? He has provided the boundaries. I, I see the storms and I see the waves and I could go out there and, uh, you know, decide to jump in, <laughs> maybe add to the chaos. But when I'm controlled by Christ, even when there are things that maybe initially unsettle me on the inside, I'm not going to be controlled by the anger, the wrath, the bitterness, the discontentment that's raging all around me because I'm living in this picture of faith. And in many ways, Roger, I think that kind of naturally leads to your fourth point here. Yes, and this comes from verse 21 where the picture James gives us is someone who's separate from the filth of the world. It's not enough just to put in the goodness. We've got to remove the badness. And in verse 21, he says, putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to re- able to save your souls. And it seems to be a two-step process right there. The removing first and then the adding. The removing of the things that are wrong and adding the pure word of God to our hearts. And again, those are parts of this picture that he's given us of a man of faith. It's absolutely a personal choice that each one of us has to make, right? Someone else can't forever put that filthiness and rampant wickedness away from it. Maybe I grew up in a a home where parents tried to limit that or taught me to think wisely about those things. But, uh, you know, in the context of our church family, for instance, we've got a number of high school seniors who are about to move away from home, go other places to college or for jobs. And James 121 is a choice they're going to have to make, right? Not just to stay away from what's evil, but as you've brought out, to receive with meekness the implanted word. Maybe, again, this word we don't use very often, meekness. We talked about double-mindedness. Roger, if you had a, a grandchild in the back seat and they heard you or me talk about being meek, and they asked, well, <laughs> that sounds like weak. What, what's it mean to be meek? What would you say? Well, we remember in, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. It's the idea of being lowly or, or humble is really the idea. It's, it's, it's coming down to earth. It's being a humble person. Rather than elevating yourself, I'm above these things or I'm better than these things or it's all about me, it's a humble person. It's a person that's going to receive these things from God. The, the arrogant person is not going to do that. He's not going to receive because his head's too big. But the humble person, the meek person, realizes he needs help, and he needs the Lord to guide his steps, and he's going to invite that into his life. All right, so I meekly, humbly receive this implanted word of God. I don't have all the answers. I can't save myself. I need a Savior, and he is willing to save my soul. Roger, you had one more point. One more point, and this covers the, the, the end of the chapter, and that is the picture of faith is a someone who's activated the Bible in their daily life. And so having said in verse 21, receiving this, the word that can save your souls, he says in verse 22, 
Prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So in all those verses, we find the idea of doing. And then he ends this chapter with some, I think, some practical examples of this. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father, is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And there again, he's kind of wrapping all these points together about about the separation from the filth of the world, about doing what the Bible says. This is James' picture. This is God's picture of a man of faith. I love the the choice of the verb activated, activating the Bible in my daily life. When you were talking about that, that makes me think of, okay, uh, I get a new debit card from the bank in the mail uh, and uh, or a gift card for a birthday, let's say. And uh, there, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of potential there, right? And there maybe is a, a big blessing attached to that. But unless I call that 1-800 number and activate that, I can't use it. Well, in the same way, maybe I own a Bible. Maybe even I cracked a Bible on on Sunday while you were preaching. But if that Bible isn't actively shaping who I am and how I think, how I treat people around me, how I endure the ups and downs of life, what good is that closed Bible that's away from my heart really going to do for me? It's kind of like a, an unactivated debit card that's just sitting in the stack of junk mail. And, and at that point, we went over to Mark 5 and talked about the demon-possessed man. And we noted from the very next chapter in the book of James, James 2, it says the demons believe. And so when we talk about a picture of faith, how's my faith different than the faith of a demon? That's a fair question to ask. Mark 5, the demon saw Jesus. That man ran toward Jesus. And then he knelt down. He bowed before Jesus. And then before everyone, he uttered that Jesus was the son of the most high God. And then he knew who Jesus was. Well, but the thing is, all those things didn't change that he was still a demon. So when I look at my faith, does my faith make me run toward Jesus? Does my faith make me bow before Jesus? Does my faith make me utter that Jesus is my God, my Lord, my Savior? Does my faith bring me to the knowledge that I need to be like Jesus? Faith of a demon and my faith, there ought to be a big difference. And what we saw here in James 1 is the picture of faith that James draws for us. You know, I think it is absolutely powerful and worth slowing down a little here in the middle of the week to think about. I can use a passage of Scripture that was written down 2,000 years ago and still use phrases like, my faith. 
Jude, uh, very similar in background to James. It's Jude who in verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now think about that here in the middle of this week. James, Jude, men, women like them, they didn't dress like us. They wore different shoes than we did. They grew up in a different part of the world. They have different sorts of jobs. They lived in different sorts of houses. They spoke a different language than, than you and I speak. And yet, in the wisdom and amazing providence of God, I can have the same faith that they had. You take it a step further. These men, they saw Jesus with their physical eyes. They heard him with their physical ears. They knew his background. They walked with him in many ways. And yet here they are because of the the power and plan of God talking to us in a very real sense. I can draw the same sort of picture of faith in my own life. And that's what's powerful, because we don't have a European faith and an American faith. We don't have a first century faith and a 21st century faith. The faith is the same, and the attributes are the same. We may have different governments. We may speak different languages. We may be in different times. But that faith of Jesus transcends above all those things, and that doesn't change. Now, sometimes we'll hang our hat on the nail because of our times. You know, because of our times, you know, this is all I can do. Or because of our times, this has to be acceptable. Uh, It wasn't allowed in the first century, but it's going to be allowed today. No, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Our faith is greater than that, and our faith is once delivered for all. And that for all really has two implications, for all people and for all times. And so that's the faith that we need to manufacture and get in our lives as we walk with Jesus. Roger, it strikes me something that, that I need to remember here in the middle of the week. I am presenting a picture to the people all around me, right? Some who know me really, really well. Uh, some who live in the same house that I live in, some that I, I see on a daily basis, some that I, I might just cross paths with briefly at some point today, but in a very real sense, I am a living picture that people will be able to see. It's a sobering, but also a, a, an exciting question to ask, what sort of faith will people see from my picture? And what they're going to do is they're going to make three judgments as they see you. First of all, they're going to judge you personally. They're going to think you are a Christian or, man, you're an amazing Christian. They're, they're going to base that because of your actions, your the words you use, the choices you make, and how you conduct yourself. They're going to make a judgment about the church you go to. And, oh, if that's the kind of church you go to, the church is a reflection of you, why? Or, you know what? I can't wait to come there. I want to see these people because it's amazing. If it's like you, I can't imagine hundreds of them like you. And then they're going to make a judgment about Jesus. If this is the, if this is the way Jesus is, I want nothing to do with him. Or they're going to say, 
Oh, through you, I see how wonderful the Lord is. I need to be closer to the Lord because of you. Three judgments. Now, we could talk about that crayon box with 64 colors, <laughs> okay? When somebody sees you walking down the street, walking into that classroom, they see you walking into the workplace, are they pulling out that black crayon and think, man, here comes Mr. Judgmental. Everything I do is going to be pointing his finger at me, condemning me, and he's going to take that black crayon and just think that's, that's his picture of me. Well, that, is that what you want? And so we, we control that by the choices we make and by the image we have. The picture of faith needs to be the same as what we read in the Bible. Roger, appreciate the sermon, appreciate you thinking deeper through it with us. We would certainly encourage our audience, if you haven't had the opportunity to watch or to listen, go check that out front and center at charlestownroad.org. Let's think carefully about the picture of faith that we are painting coloring, presenting before the world around us today. Roger, it is hard for me, at least personally, to believe we are on the very last step of the first quarter of this year. You've got one more class in the auditorium this first quarter of 2022. And we've been walking through this this uh, lesson about the teacher Jesus, looking at how he taught. So tonight we're going to wrap all that up and kind of kind of go over some things we've already looked at and looked at some more things as we become teachers like Jesus was a teacher. Our building blocks track of studies this month, we've been exploring who is God and, and specifically we've been looking at Father, Son, and Spirit. This evening we're going to wrap that month-long study up by looking specifically at God the Spirit. Who is He? Where has He been active for our good throughout history? And is He still doing anything today? Lots of important questions that we'll explore. Whomever you are, we would love to have you join us this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. We have Bible classes for all ages. Roger, a couple of weeks ago, you preached a sermon called Little Boys or Little Girls, I should say, to Godly Women. We revisited that recently on a, a Wednesday podcast, and we said the sequel was coming, that's this weekend, right? It is. This Sunday night, we're going to be talking about little boys, the godly men, and how in this culture we live in today, we can get these little boys to grow up to be powerful leaders in, in our homes and in our churches as God wants them to be. Roger, thanks for joining me today. We especially appreciate all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We've had a good week so far. We're looking forward to a good rest of this week. We hope to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. We are already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us. 